up like this, but I've broken a few of these like that. So, How's everybody doing this morning? Okay, now, um, can we just go over a few ground rules? Is that okay? Can we, like, some expectations? Um, I, I, would, I would prefer if people, uh, you know, talk back every now and then, not like your kids talk back to you, but like just a little interaction, because uh, if you just sit there and look at me, I'm going to start to think my fly is down or something, like I spilled coffee on myself, and I'll get real self-conscious about halfway through. Um, I'm going to try not to get emotional. I got emotional earlier, uh, and I know you're not allowed to get emotional in Australia, right? Like, that's, you're not allowed to cry at all, but I was crying like a little baby earlier um, when we were singing that God, You Are So Good song. And I don't know if it's... Has anybody ever heard that song before? Like, not the, re, not the new version. Like, who remembers the original version? Okay, thank you. Everybody else that's, you know, older. Um, I grew up on that song, right? I grew up on that song. And it has been 10 years. And 10 years goes like that. Like if you're a kid, 10 years doesn't go like that. Like, a week doesn't go like that. But, but when you have a few more wrinkles and a little less hair here, um, it goes like that. And 10 years ago, I was here. And 10 years ago, I was, my knees were shaking. And Miss Karen uh, prayed for me. Joshua 1, 9 through 11. Or Jeremiah 1, 9 through 11. About God will put the words in your mouth. And every time before I speak, I pray that over myself. Ten years goes like that. When my wife and I, at that time, it was my brand new wife, uh, decided to come to Australia, we, we really did feel like we were saying yes to God. And in hindsight, that, yeah, all that's true. Uh, but I'm not going to lie to you, it wasn't an easy time. And for those of you that were here in 2009, it was a little interesting time, right? And not just worldwide, not just economically, but even in the time of the church, it was an interesting time. And I left later in 2009 wondering, like, 
did I hear you right? Was that yes really, like, was I just, it was cold and it was winter and I wanted, you know, we moved to Australia because it wasn't cold and there wasn't snow and, you know, all those things. And so you wonder, like, was it a selfish yes? Like, oh, like we're going to go serve the Lord in Australia in shorts and uh, t-shirts and the land of milk and honey, right? Like, it's an amazing place. And, and I know you think that Australia is amazing, but like from a worldwide perspective, Brisbane's a great area. Like, it really is. Y- y- y'all are blessed. And, um, and I left and I was talking to Nathan a couple years ago, and I said, you know, I don't know why I was there. I don't know why we were in Australia. And it sometimes haunts me, that, that question of, of why were you there? Like, was that yes really? Like, I genuinely feel it was a yes to God, but was, did God even ask us to go? Or was it more of a selfish thing? And the many of you know Scott Griffith. And, and I'm at that camp last night, and I see Scott, who 10 years ago, okay, 10 years ago is when I saw Scott. And he was 18 and now he's like 48. <laughs> but I'm sitting there and I feel like a, a, a proud father. Not because of anything that I did, but because the maturity in that man's life of God using him. And 10 years goes like that. And I don't want to talk too much about myself because we're supposed to be talking about Abraham. Abraham is the hero of the faith. And, and we will get into that. But we have a tendency to want to say yes to God that first time. But then not walk it out. I'm going to call Shelly out for a second here. Not in a bad way. But because her and I both got on the same page last night when we were talking about we love to travel except for the travel part. <laughs> like, if you could just teleport me to a new place, I'm like, oh, this is great. But the 40 hours of travel to get there, I'm good. Like, I'd rather not. I'd rather, I'd rather just be there than to go through the process and the journey. But isn't that everything? Isn't the process and the journey Everything. And so we're going to talk about heroes of the faith, and we're going to talk about Abraham, and I want to get into that, but specifically in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, because if we were going to really talk about Abraham, it would be about 14 chapters and take me about 25 years of Genesis to go through, and so um, I'm not going to make everybody stand and, and us read 14 chapters of Genesis, but if you want to do that, you can, you can go back and, and read and do some study. It's great. But this is what I particularly want to hold on to, and it's Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave home and go to another land, land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. No Google Maps. Went knowing without, where he, without knowing where he was going. And he, when he, even when he reached the land God had promised the, him, He lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. 
And so did Jacob and Isaac, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So a little backstory on Abraham. I know there's several people in here that were raised in the church, and you know the Bible probably better than, than I do and all these things. And, but I want to bring some other people up to speed and, and just some things that I've been studying. Abraham worshipped the stars before God got a hold of him. That was his family's faith with stars. That's how they guided him. That was his context. That's what he knew. And how does God speak to Abraham? Genesis 15. Look up and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. When God is speaking to Abraham about the promise, he speaks to him in a language that Abraham understands. Because that promise was too big for Abraham to comprehend. So he went back and spoke to him in the way that Abraham understood. Another little fun fact with Abraham. Abraham, some of you have heard the phrase Abraham of Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, Ur was a city, and that was where Abraham was originally from. His, his people, as we, we say in the south in the United States, his peoples were from Ur. You are Ur. Now, his daddy had moved to this little town called Haran, but Ur, Haran, there's all these places that, that Abraham is from, and we gloss right over it when we're reading through Genesis, when we gloss right over through the story, and we see that God called Abraham out of Ur, out of Haran, and into the promised land. And I got a little wild hair one day, and I was like, I wonder like, where Ur is now. Like, how far from the promised land is it? Who has maps in the back of their Bible? Does anybody, who has a Bible? Because uh, my Bible is electronic, right? So, but man, I remember the old days and the maps like fold out and, and nobody ever used them and, you know, kids drawing them and all that stuff. Well, I started, I started like researching that and looking that up and like, where's the promised land? Where's Ur and where's Herod in relation to the promised land? Fascinating story. Ur is inside the promised land. So that is like God saying, I'm calling you up. I'm calling you out of Everton Hills. I'm calling you all around these places to the promised land of Queensland. So Abraham was there. Abraham started out in the promised land. But he had to go through the process to receive the promise. He had to get called up out of his home, out of his comfort, out of his traditions. I don't want to step on toes. Out of his traditions, out of his concept of even who God was, and go wander around for 20-some years to inherit this promised land that he never even got to. All to find out that it was back at the start. What that tells me is that the yes to God is more important than the place. 
the yes to God of the next right step is more important than the physical location of being right. Taking that next right step is the most important thing. And it is that journey. And we have a tendency to celebrate where we're at in that rightness rather than to take the next right step of the journey. Because we tend to like where we're at. And I don't want to knock any, anybody in here, and I don't want to, I don't want to get down on Abraham. And, and he, here's what happens with biblical narratives. We have a tendency to replace Abraham with ourselves and replace David with ourselves and replace Esther with ourselves, and we become the hero of the faith. And we have a tendency to insert ourselves into the biblical narrative because, let's be honest, we, life is all about us. We're, we're the only constant in our lives. And so we, we very easily, very selfishly, very much by human nature, will insert ourselves into that story and say, oh, well, well I am Abraham, or, or I am David in the David and Goliath story. And let's be honest, if, if we're in the David and Goliath story, Jesus is David, and we're probably the Israelites cowering in fear, right? The Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. And there's things that we can learn from Abraham, from David, from Esther. And we can apply those things to our lives. And what I see with with Abraham and what I see with this story is somebody that grabbed a hold of that promise and continually said yes to God. And I'll be honest, it doesn't make sense. I mean, you really want to get into it. It does not make sense that Abraham would say, God, you want me to sacrifice my son? Okay, well, you can grab some sticks and we're going to go do this. That obedience there doesn't make sense. And I don't want to insert myself into that story. Because I can't comprehend it. it, it it's a little out of context for me. And then what we begin to do, especially with people like Abraham, is we... We begin to say, man, Abraham was so obedient. Abraham was so obedient. And we know that God desires obedience over sacrifice. So I need to be obedient. But there's a key part that we're missing in the Abraham narrative. And even in the David narrative, and even in the heroes of the faith narrative, and all these heroes have said yes to God over and over and over, and they've all been obedient to God over and over and over. But we forget the first part that's unwritten about their love for God that leads to obedience. And if I can be completely frank and transparent with you, I grew up in in the Wesleyan Methodist Church in America where holiness was very much talked about. Do we talk about holiness here? Okay, I don't know. I don't know what translates what doesn't. I assume that holiness is a big thing. 
And I don't know if I was ever correctly taught growing up what holiness was. And I don't want to say the generation that helped raise me did not know what they were talking about because if it wasn't for that generation, I would not be still in church. I would not be connected to God. I would not be connected to others. I I owe them a lot. I just don't think that they fully communicated what holiness was because what it looked like to me was obedience. Do all the do's, don't do all the don'ts. That's holiness. We've created handbooks and disciplines and everything outside of the Bible to make sure that we have a matrix to measure ourselves up of what holiness looks like and doesn't look like. When I went to Indiana Wesleyan University, they said, don't dance. And I said, well, that's not a problem for me because I, I don't normally dance. And I do not have the talent to dance. But if I wanted to, I could, right? And they said, no, it can lead to things. And I said, what things? <laughs> Just to hear the people say the S words. They wouldn't do it. <laughs> they kicked me out of the school. Uh, but there was a weird understanding of what holiness was. And I do believe there's a genuine with our faith, but if we don't communicate love of God first, what does Paul say? We are a clanging cymbal, a resounding gong. We have nothing if we don't have love. And for many, many generations in the Wesleyan faith and the Wesleyan tradition, if you want to go back all through church history, you see this cycle over and over and over that people have a genuine love for God that produces holiness and the fruit of that. And because it's not clearly communicated that it came from abiding in the vine that produced that, we have a tendency to hold on to the branches that produced fruit generations ago. And think, if I hold on to that form then it'll produce fruit again. And where my wife and children and I live in in Washington, D.C., we have three grapevines growing up in in our backyard, and they're Concord grapes, which taste like communion. If you drink them, you're like, oh, it's a little in the name of the Father. You you chew on it a little bit. It's kind of nice. Um, But I've been doing experiments because I love John 15 and I love the vine and the branches and Jesus talking about abiding in me and I'll abide with you. And and I play with it a little bit because these vines are so thick and these branches just go all over the place. And they produce, like right now, like right now in in two weeks, all the grapes will turn turn purple and we'll be able to eat them. And, And like that's very visual right now for us. And the first year I got there, I cut everything back down to the vine because it was all overgrown and it was all a mess. And boom, in the springtime, shoots start coming out. And we had some, like really good fruit come from that. And this past year, I was like, well, that was a really good branch. I'm going to keep it because it's going to produce again. And let me tell you, it did produce more branches and more leaves and more shoots. 
but all of the branches that I left unpruned for the winter produce zero fruit. Sure, they had grape leaves come out and they had shoots come out, but zero fruit. In my life, I'm celebrating the branches that did well in the past instead of trusting the source of the vine to produce new fruit and new wine. Here's what I've learned about in my life and in studying these heroes of the faith. You can celebrate the first yes, but God's going to continue to ask you to say yes again. And we say, but, but God, 10 years ago, that was, it was an amazing move 10 years ago. And 20 years ago, I said yes, and it was, a, it was an amazing time. Is there still fruit from that? And God's patiently waiting for you to say yes again and again and again. I'm sure somebody told me this when I first got saved. I don't think I paid attention to it. That the first leap of faith to say yes to God was actually the smallest leap because they get bigger and bigger and bigger as you go. With Abraham... His first leap of faith was to get up and leave his house. Then it was at the ripe old age to start having kids. Which wears me out looking at Abraham at 75 years old starting to have kids. I, like, I have no trouble going to sleep now that I have kids. They wear you out. Can you imagine a 75-year-old running around with toddlers? He's sleeping, mouth drooling over it. <laughs> Leaps of faith over and over and over again. And here's the amazing thing about Abraham, and we see that in verse 13. All these people died, going through the heroes of the faith. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it, grabbing a hold of it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Abraham never saw his descendants be as numerous as the stars in the sky. How many descendants did he have that he saw? Two. Isaac and Ishmael, two. Two. And yet God said, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you would have. And Abraham says, well, one, two. One, two. But still grabbed a hold of the promise. Still grabbed a hold of the yes and still kept saying yes. Now, what does that look like practically for us? I really want to challenge you with this. Because again, we have a tendency to have said yes once 
and get really frustrated when God asks us to say yes again and again and again. And it pushes us. And it makes us question things. And ultimately, if, if, again, I can be transparent, I'm not projecting this on you. But sometimes I do question if God is good in the tough moments. Has anybody had a tough moment? Anybody, do, you, do we have the Time Hop app over here where it shows you all your social media posts like from this day back in the, yeah. It's the, the best and worst thing because it'll catch you with some stuff. And I saw Nate just walk in. Oh, man. Ten years ago today, I was walking in the bush with that guy. Neither one of us knew what we were doing. And I was like, oh, a cactus. If you break the cactus open, at least in the States, there's water on the inside and you can suck it out. Well, no. I broke the cactus open and I sucked it out and all I got was microfiber cacti spikes in my tongue. And for, for an hour, we're walking. I'm, uh, 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 time hop did that. Ten years ago today. Seven years ago today. We started the process of adopting two little girls from Haiti. And that was funny. That caught me. But the seven years ago one caught me in a different way. Because for two and a half to three years, we went through absolute hell. And we had pastors in our church tell us, you need to give up. You need to give up. And it got really dark for a time. And uh, to the point where the United States was not letting us come back into the country. We had adopted the girls legally in Haiti, but we had to get into the United States. The United States wasn't letting that happen uh, for a few reasons. And there was no traction we could do. Everything we were trying to do to make it happen was not happening. But we felt very strongly that God told us to do this and we had said yes. And Katie and I both contracted uh, dengue fever and malaria. Uh, and we're writhing in pain and in this bed in Haiti. And Katie goes downhill pretty bad. Uh, she's fine now. But, like, when you think back on these things, it, it hits you. And uh, we had to evacuate her out of Haiti. And, uh, and I'm, I'm there in Haiti, and she's back in the States, and she had an allergic reaction to the, the antibiotics and the medication and uh, her white blood cell count went down to the 20s, which is really bad. And her mom calls me and says, uh, you need to come home. She's got 24 hours to live. And I remember talking to God saying, if this is what saying yes to you looks like, you can forget it. 
I know none of y'all have had those kind of real conversations with God. But when you're in the moment and you know that you said yes and you know that your heart was genuine and it is hard, right? The traveling is hard. The process and the journey is hard. And when you walk into that hospital room and see your wife hooked up to everything, I know you're supposed to love your kids, but I love my wife. And I thought, we can't do this. Katie gets better. And for those of you who know that Katie, she's, she has, she's a certain way. Six days later, she walked out of that hospital, got back on a plane to Haiti. She said, I'm going to go get my kids. Right? So that's a mother's love. The father's love was not quite there yet. Because I said, I'm staying right here in the United States next to your mom, who's cooking me a lot of good food. (laughs) And it was so dark, and we didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel there. I wasn't planning on talking about any of this, but, but Time Hop got me, right? And that song got me. Because I think it's been seven years. Ah, it's like nothing. But if you talk to me in the moment, I couldn't do it. And I doubted God, to be quite honest with you. And I had some friends really love me through that and really help me process through that. Because going back to the garden story, the enemy doesn't get you to doubt whether or not God is real. He gets you to doubt whether or not God is good. In our heart, our hearts, we want to say yes. Sometimes we have trouble trusting that it's good what we're saying yes to. And we go back to that. It's not the tree of evil that Adam and Eve ate from. It was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was the tree of, is this good for me or not good for me? Is this person good for me or not good for me? It's very binary. It's one or the other. Instead of seeing it and viewing it from life, a life-giving tree. And we have a tendency to do that today. In John 14, it says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And and going back and just kind of coming back full circle to all that, I'm going to be honest with you. It's bad theology and bad logic that I grew up with because I grew up thinking, if I obey his commands, that proves that I love him. If I continue to say yes over and over and over, that that proves that I love him and I genuinely do want to love God. But that comma is everything. I've been living on the you will keep my commands, comma, side of the comma. Instead of living on the, if you love me. Because if you love me, that produces fruit. 
you only obey my commands, that does not produce fruit. That only produces more rules. If you love me, that produces holiness. That produces obedience. If you do all the do's and don't do all the don'ts and you have not love, you will be a fruitless branch. I hate to tell you. But we know those people. We know generations before us, parents and grandparents, that really wanted it, really tried hard, but were missing that uh, X factor love. But we also know people that did all the do's and didn't do all the don'ts, and they had it. But that's because it was founded in genuine love. So as the band comes up and, and we close, can we do that You're So Good song? Oh, that's classic. I, I want you to begin to ask yourself a, a few things. Is there an area in your life you need to say yes to God in? Is there an area in your life you need to say yes to God in? Is there areas in your life where you're doubting whether or not God is good? Not whether or not God is real, but whether or not God is good. God, my marriage is a mess. Are you good in my marriage? My workplace is a mess. Are you good in my workplace or only in church? And the last thing I want you to ask yourself is where on the journey are you? Are you at home saying, yeah, I'll say yes, but teleport me to that place? And you need to take that first step outside of your house. Are you on the journey? Are you in the wilderness? Are you in the middle of the darkness? And you just need some encouragement. You need somebody to come alongside you, put, put their arm around you and say, it's all right, I was there before too. It's going to be okay. Keep walking. One foot in front of the other. Keep walking. Keep walking. Trust the promise. You might not ever see it happen. You might not ever see your kids or grandkids come to know the Lord, but trust the promise and trust the process and walk it out. You never know what's on the other side of your obedience. Nathan was a board member 10 years ago. I feel sorry for all the other board members in here because in 10 years you could be in his seat. <laughs> you never know. You never know what's on the other side of your obedience. God wants you to, you to say yes to one thing because there's probably 10,000 other things that are going to be affected in a positive way. But we get stuck. And I guarantee you it's not because we don't want to say yes. It's because we don't know if God is really good. And as they sing this song, if you're older than 10 years old, I want you to think of those times that God was good.
because the truth is he still is good. And sometimes we need to be like David and lay on our bed and remember all the times that God was good. Because 10 years ago, I didn't want to come here and I didn't want to leave. And I questioned and I was frustrated. Why? Why'd you bring me here? I had some really good stuff that I sold to get us here and I want it back. But I look at some of the kids that were in kids ministry that are now leading the youth camp. Fortunately, I skipped all those teenage years. (laughs) You didn't. I look at some of you and, and there's new faces and old faces and a few wrinkled faces. God's good. In the last 10 years, there's things I guarantee you in your life that were hard. But we're also good. We're also good. Band's going to play, and I think Nathan's going to close us out right there.